John chapter 13, the beginning of verse 1, says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. About a week ago, we had one of our firemen's training meetings. And some of our training meetings are hands-on. You get to go out and spray water on things and run trucks and all that kinds of stuff. And other training meetings are watch a video, listen to some stories and points having to do with that information, and then take a test. The tests are not high pressure. At the end, we all go over the answers to all the questions and everything. And as I'm working my way through the test, I'm taking a little longer on it, maybe a couple of the questions. And I didn't get all of it done before we were done taking the test. And he says, okay, now we're going to go through the answers. And he started going through the room. And I'm thinking, well, I'll be able to look forward and keep working on it a little bit. And Make sure I got these ones right, too, as I go down. And, and then at one point, he started doing it a little differently. He started calling on each person. He started at the back of the room. He says, okay, you, what's the answer to this one? Next one, what's the answer to that one? Next one, what's the answer to that one? And I thought, well, for a while, that was okay. He got up to me. I just told him what I had on paper. And, yep, that was good. Got him right. And keep going around. Then he goes back to the back. And pretty soon, I'm like, I'm not going to get done in time here. So I wonder which question is going to be mine. <laughs> so, I need to listen to what's going on, too, because i got the rest of the answers that I need to get in there and everything. And, and so I'm getting a little worried about it. And so when it gets to me, he's like, okay, Greg, number 37 or whatever it was. I'm like, okay, the answer to number 37 is C. I was hoping maybe I'll get a true or false one. Maybe I'll get something shorter to read so they're not waiting for me so long. It didn't appear that I was the only one in that circumstance, but I don't know why I tell you that. Just to make myself feel better, I, I suppose. But So I ended up having to answer two questions kind of on the spot like that. I thought about that this week because I was thinking about Peter and looking at the situation Peter's in because every home that you would have gone into back then would have a pole and a pitcher and a towel sitting there so that when visitors came or you came in from outside that you could wash your feet. Why? Because they weren't on paved roads and things like that. They were walking on dusty roads and, and trails. And So when you went from one place to another and you come in and you're wearing sandals, then obviously your feet are going to be pretty dirty. And so, kind of like in our culture, when you go into somebody's home, often you go in and you 
kick your shoes off before you go on through their home. In their culture, you'd go in and your feet would be washed. It's not really necessarily the task that people want to do, but it was customary and you felt a little obligated to show the respect for the people that are entering your home. Uh, Often it would be a servant to do it, but one thing actually that I did not know before that I learned this week was that if you had a servant or a slave that was a Hebrew slave, the Jewish people would not make a Hebrew slave wash other people's feet. It was looked at as a menial task. Well, we have the disciples here coming into the Last Supper. Jesus is going to have the Last Supper with them. And so this is the time where Jesus is now within about 15 to 18 hours of being hanging on that cross. Just as it says right in verse 1, His time is here and He knows it. Pretty amazing that He would, with that on His horizon, use His time to serve that way rather than think about what He Himself had to go through. But He did. Well into the supper, which is not when you would do the foot washing. The foot washing would happen when everybody first got there. But nobody really had the appetite to do it when they first got there. And we know that because we look at Luke chapter 22. In verse 24, it says, "...a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest." So it might even be that that's the argument that they're in the middle of when Jesus gets up and walks over and straps a towel around Himself and goes to wash their feet. And so what has happened? The disciples have come into this upper room and one at a time they walked right by that bowl. I'm not going to be the one to do it. Thomas can do it. Judas can do it. Simon can do it. John can do it. Somebody else other than me. If you're vying for position and who's going to be the greatest and you think you're up toward the top of the charts, then picking up the bowl and the towel is not the way to get over the top on that. Is the way they're thinking. And every one of them has walked right by that bowl. Can you imagine what it would have felt like in that room when Jesus gets up and goes walking over there and He takes off His outer garment and He puts on a towel and comes and starts washing the first one's feet. Now what's going to be going through your mind? Oh, man. Thomas really should have grabbed that. <laughs> That's probably what was going through their mind. By the time it's getting to you, though, you're thinking, ah, I should have grabbed that. That's what Peter's wrestling with. That's how on the spot Peter feels at this moment when Jesus comes to him and Peter's like, you're going to wash my feet? You are not washing my feet. What is the point? I'm not going to say there's a, a tremendous amount of depth to learn. You know what this passage is really about? It's about doing it. They need to be serving one another. It's not hard to get our minds around, especially when he does it in just a physical way, gets up and serves these people in this way, in a very menial, a very seemingly unimportant, but just meeting a need. And he says, happy are you if you do this. This is how we need to see it. Luke records another part of the conversation where Jesus said, look, the Gentiles lord it over one another. Not here, not us. We serve one another. Just as He was willing to serve them, they should be willing to serve one another. I think it was establishing a pattern of behavior that would say, you know what, I am willing to become a servant to meet whatever need it is that you may have within the family of God. It's that attitude of service. It's that those actions of service that He is calling us to. It takes humility because you're saying, I don't see myself as above this. I don't see myself as too good for this. That's the problem the apostles were having. They were feeling like they were too good for picking up the basin and the towel. They felt like they were too good for washing one another's feet. And they needed to humble themselves. One of the commentators that I read from talked about a guy that ended up being very high up. In fact, I think he ended up running the Salvation Army for a number of years. Before that, he was a pastor. 
And when the Salvation Army started up and started to reach out to the, the poorest among us, the pastor ended up leaving his church because he wanted to go help serve the impoverished peoples. Well, the leader of the Salvation Army, Booth, I think his name was, that started it, he thought, well, I got this guy that's been used to a very comfortable position in the church that he was at. They took care of him well. And so he's like, I'm not sure that he's ready for this. And so he made it harder on him. He said, you know what, all these other people that also came, he says, I'm, I'm going to have him clean their boots. And so his job was each day take the boots of all these other people that were out helping with the poor and everything and take and wipe down all their boots and re-blacken their boots so that their boots looked good again for the next day. And he said, you know what, I don't know that this pastor is going to last that long. And at first he had a real struggle with it. Really? That's my job. And you know what, it was early in his ministry there with the Salvation Army that he thought about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And he said, Lord, if you can wash their feet, I can blacken their boots. And he just poured himself into it. And he ended up very successful in the ministry of the Salvation Army. Well, that's what Jesus is calling his apostles to, being able to stoop to things that are more menial, things that seem less significant, things that are not where the spotlight is shining. They needed to serve one another, and in order to do that, they needed to have some humility. We do learn a few things about humility within this passage. The first thing that we see is that humility comes from love. Why was Jesus, when you think about it, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is He is the Son of God and God the Son. There, there is nobody higher than Him on this earth. What is it that propelled Him to humble Himself in that way? And the passage tells us clearly that it was love. In John chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Before the Feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. You know, later in verses 34 and 35, He's going to say, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. He knows that His time is at hand, but He loves them. And so He's more worried about them. Jesus knows that His hour is just about here. And so He's going to pour the last hours of His life into the lives of those apostles to better prepare them for while He's gone. And as you look through chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, that farewell address that Jesus gives to them, love is a prominent theme within this farewell address. Love is also going to be a prominent theme in His prayer, which is in John 17. And then from there we see him go out and love is in all of his actions as he lays down his life on our behalf and then rises again from the dead. The person that is the most exalted in all the world would lower himself to the lowest of humility because he loves us. If those disciples were working out of a love one for another, then Peter would really have no problem washing John's feet or vice versa. But at the moment, they saw each other more as a rival than they did somebody that they cared for. And that's the problem that we can have is often too many times because of our own self-aggrandizement, we we see other people as our rivals for attention rather than someone that we care about and desire to serve. Well, Jesus says that we're going to do it His way, and we are, then we need to have that humility to be able to serve one another. That comes from love. But you know, not only does humility come from love, humility comes also from self-knowledge. Starting with chapter 13, verse 3 and 4, 
It says Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Could have just told you what happened. But it starts with something internally in Christ. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, As Jesus gets up and goes about the business of washing feet, He is very well aware that He's in charge, that He came from God, that He's returning to God. In other words, that He is God. And with all that knowledge, He stoops down and washes these people's feet. This knowledge that He has of Himself allowed Him the ability to lower Himself to meet that need. I think that's kind of how it works. If you know who you are, I think it's easier to humble yourself to serve in different situations. It's the people who, either in their position or in their person, feel threatened that feel like they need to hang on to those things. I think when you see a display of arrogance, I don't necessarily see that as a real sign of confidence. I usually see that as a sign of weakness. But that person does not really see themselves as great as they're saying that they do because otherwise, why would they feel that they had to show it to everybody else? And that's what we see in Jesus. He knows He's in control. He knows He's from God. He knows He's going back to God. He is very aware of who He is. This involves a couple different things on our level. Not necessarily some of them on Christ. But this would not be self-exalting. And a knowledge of ourself in Christ shies away from any kind of self-exaltation. And that's what He leads them to in verses 12-17. through He says, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call Me Teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's using a logic here. If it's not too great for the greater, it's not too great for the lesser. If I can humble myself to wash your feet then is it really that big of a stretch for you to humble yourself to wash one another's feet? That's part of our self-awareness, our self-knowledge. Who are we? In fact, we could say that with a little attitude and get just the right kind of an idea here. Who are we that this would be below us? If Jesus was going to do it halfway through the supper, I should have been there at the beginning of the supper. If I was the first one in the door, I should have been picking up the bowl to wash the feet for the rest as they come through. We're not that great. We are just servants. That's what we're to be. Peter, obviously, I think eventually gets it because he would say in his first epistle, chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, he starts out, he was talking to the pastors and their leadership of the church, and he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I think he gets that right from Christ, right? Because Jesus, what did he do at that Last Supper? He could have just chastised them for it. He could have verbally just, Peter, get up and go get that bowl. John, get the towel. Give him a hand. He could have done anything like that but what did he do no he didn't do that he just stepped in and gave him left him an example to follow well peter tells the pastors that that's what they're supposed to do and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive an unfading crown of glory likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you And so if we get a proper understanding of where we fall into these things, humility should not be a problem for us. We should not be trying to exalt ourselves 
we should be able to humble ourselves to serve one another. But you know what this involves? Another aspect of it as well. Not only is it not self-exalting, but on the other hand, neither is it self-deprecating. You're not exalting yourself to try to lift yourself up above uh, those around you. But neither are you necessarily saying, I'm not worth anything either. You're made in the image of God. You bear His likeness. You have value. Yes, our image of God within us is marred because of sin, but we still maintain it. The Bible teaches us in the book of James that we're to respect other people because everybody is made in the image of God. And so it's not that we're going to run around feeling horrible about ourselves all the time either. That's not it either. Jesus knows who He is when He goes to pick up the towel. He's not saying, I'm only worthy to be a foot washer. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, Jesus would say, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He knows who He is, God the Son and the Son of God, but He is determined to serve. Philippians chapter 2 and first 11 verses is, is astounding. In the middle of it is the example of Christ. At the beginning of it, he starts out this way. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If there is any encouragement in Christ, and what he's calling on them to do is saying, look, in your experience of being a Christian, your experience of walking with Christ, do you experience any encouragement in Christ? And of course, all the people would be, well, yes, of course, we do. Uh, any comfort from love? Do you receive that in your relationship with Christ? Yes. Any participation in the Spirit? Yes. We have, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit working with inside us. Any affection and sympathy? Yes. The point that he's making is, if you receive all this in your relationship to Christ, then you have everything you need to be able to humble yourself to be at unity with the people that are around you. If you have any of these things, or all of these things, which we would say we have, then do what? Complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. You know what gets in the way of our unity? Our pride. But he's saying, look, if you experience from Christ this encouragement and comfort and sympathy and affection and love, then you've got a basis from which to work with by where you can lay down your foolish pride and you can serve the people that are around you. Well, then he goes on from there and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so he's saying, look, Jesus, being very God, did not consider heaven and, and the throne to be something that he needed to cling to, but he willingly let it go. And why did he let it go? For us. He humbled himself. He became a man. As a man... He humbled himself further, became a servant. As a servant, he humbled himself even to the point of death, taking our death upon himself. And in his death, he humbled himself even to the death of the cross, which was designed to humiliate you. So this is the example that we have in Christ, that he, knowing full well who he is, could pour himself out. The word in the passage is empty himself in order to be able to serve at the beginning, it starts with all the things that we get from Christ ought to make us so we can humble ourselves before others. 
the example of Christ ought to help us humble ourselves to serve others. But then know also the future. Because it says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We get all this stuff, this sympathy and everything else from Christ. We have the example of Christ to follow. And we know that if we humble ourselves like Christ humbled Himself, that God will one day raise us up just like He raised up Christ. And so we don't need to exalt ourselves because God will do that when it needs to be done. And in a way much better than we can ever do. And so let's just leave our exaltation to God. Let Him raise us up who's good at it. And let us humble ourselves and serve. Well, this goes back to the part of the passage that we did not read. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because of everything that I gain from Christ and have His example before me, and I know that I'll, God will exalt me in due time, I can set aside my selfish ambitions. You see, it involves knowing who you are. And so my humbling myself doesn't mean I'm groveling in the dirt and saying I'm not worth anything. It's actually almost more like a confidence, but a confidence that's not in me. It's a confidence that is in Christ. I don't need to try to cling to the things that this world has to offer, or my positions or whatever I think might be within my person. But knowing full well who I am before God, I can humble myself and serve. He leads Peter through a process of discovery here. Because notice it says he comes to Simon Peter. and Peter's really struggling with this. And he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you'll understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. He starts with kind of a question. He brings it to clarity. <laughs> and, and Peter's kind of impulsive that way. He says, Lord, you're never washing my feet. Well, then Jesus takes Peter on a little self-discovery here, I think. And he changes the foot washing into a spiritual concept. Because Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, doesn't actually mention his feet right here, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And we know that he changes it and makes it more uh, kind of a spiritual meaning because at the end of this, he's going to say, I've cleaned you, but not all of you. Because he knows Judas is not cleansed. Judas is not saved. There's several different cleansings going on here. There's the disciples' feet, which Jesus is cleaning before them. But then there's a deeper spiritual cleansing that all the disciples have experienced through their faith in Christ, and they're saved. But now he's also going to cleanse the group of disciples because Judas, the one that is not cleansed, is about to get sent out to go get the armies to come back and arrest Jesus. And then the eleven disciples will be one clean group. Jesus with Peter. Notice, Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus says, Peter, if I don't cleanse you, I, you've got nothing to do with me. And he's not talking about his feet right now. He's pointing out to Peter that the reason Jesus came was to cleanse us. The reason that He came was to take away our sin and make us clean before God. That's why He came. He said, Peter, I am the cleaner. If you don't have any relationship to me as a cleaner, then you don't have any relationship to me at all. There is nobody that just goes to heaven because they were born clean and they stayed clean their whole life. That doesn't exist. Everybody needs this salvation. Everybody needs this cleansing. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to Peter at this time. Saying, Peter, if I don't cleanse you, then that means you've got no part with me. So then, what does Peter do? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Peter says, okay, if that's what we're talking about, then I'll take the whole bath. You know, Peter's always the one that he's always taking something and just running with it. Jesus says, no. He says, somebody that's bathed is clean. 
That's not what you need. What's he saying? Once you've experienced the cleansing through Christ, the salvation through Christ, you are clean before God. You don't need to be resaved. You don't need to be saved every day. That's a one-time experience. He says, but, you know what you do need is you're still walking through this filthy world. And so you, when you come in at the end of the day, you're going to need your feet cleaned again. But you don't need the whole bath. And so what's he saying? He's saying just kind of like what John did in 1 John 1, 9. If we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we put our faith in Christ, then we are clean before God. Now in our walk through this world, there are going to be things, defiling things that we stumble into. And we need to bring those to God and get cleansed of those as well. But we are clean, as Jesus said, completely clean through our faith in Him. So Peter needs a little bit of a better understanding of himself to be able to humble himself. And what is Peter's understanding? Peter's understanding needs to be that he's cleansed, that he's forgiven, that he is valuable to God. But that this value should not make him exalt himself. It should actually give him the freedom to humble himself. When I went off to Bible college, I had a pastor before that that had never been to Bible college. He had learned a lot from underneath another pastor. Every once in a while in church, he would talk about these doctor so-and-so says this and doctor so-and-so says that. And all these people with doctors and act like everybody that had a doctorate was arrogant and proud and, and self-exalting because of their knowledge and their degrees. Well, I heard it enough from him that I thought, man, maybe I shouldn't even be going off to Bible college. But I did a word study through the Bible with my limited ability at the time. looked up words like knowledge and wisdom and I didn't have to study that very long to realize I needed to go learn something. If you're going to teach something, you ought to know something first, I think. So I went off to Bible college, and you know what I found? I was shocked, because I'd never been on a Bible college campus till the day I stepped on one to enroll there. And as I started getting to know these professors, I had a lot of professors that had doctors behind their names and degrees, and but I found the opposite to be true. It seemed like the more that they had studied and the more that they knew, the more humble they were. I did have one of them tell me one time, he said, well, he says you go off to Bible college thinking you know everything. You go to Bible college realize you don't know everything. Then you go on and get a master and come out of there realizing you don't know anything. And he says, then you go on for a doctorate and you come out of that and realize nobody else knows anything either. So... In other words, the point that he was making to me was that the more that you learn, the more you realize there is to learn, and it just it humbles you. We had one guy in our doctrines department, and he had an earned doctorate, and so he had a lot of education behind him. And he would have these young guys that thought they knew so much challenge him on different things, and what about this, and what about that? And the guy would always just humbly say, oh, well, you know, if you turn to Second Timothy chapter, and he would just lead them through a little tour of the New Testament, their challenge never rattled him. He never, he never felt like he had to stand up for himself. He just, uh, well, let's take your Bible and open it here. And, well, you see this? This word means this. And just kind of lead you through it. You know what? It's, it's not the people who are comfortable with who they are that feel the need to protect their position or their person. And that's what we see in Christ, what we see Him lead Peter into. What gives us the ability to humble ourselves before other people? The first thing is love. Love. Love is putting other people before yourself. So that in itself humbles you. If you care for other people, that allows you to humble yourself before them. Just knowing who you are will also allow you to humble yourself. Why? 
Well, because first of all, I'm not that great to begin with. So there's nothing really to hang on to. Second of all, I'm going to get an exaltation later that I haven't even earned. And so I'll just wait for that one. But not only those two extremes, Christ died for me. And I'm forgiven. I'm clean before God. The things that God has given to me, I don't have to cling to just like Jesus didn't cling to them. I don't have to hang on to those things. I can humble myself because in humbling myself, I don't really lose anything. I don't diminish myself at all. I am still in Christ. In fact, now, if I do it, I'm behaving more consistently with who I am.